Well, praise God. Uh, I want to first start by saying uh, to Drew, his precious family, the rest of the team here, uh, thank you so much for having me. It's been a joy just to be around you guys. I was telling them both uh, uh, earlier that the atmosphere feels pure and stable here. I, I'm an itinerant minister, so all I do is go church to church to church, strengthen the churches with the word. And this place feels clean and clear and strong. And as the word that pastor used was healthy, it really does feel healthy here. So if you're part of this church, I just want to say, man, you guys, you guys are doing well. It's, it's wonderful to see the stability. Um, and I know that comes from the top down. So I uh, just want to honor them and say, you guys are precious. Yeah, wonderful, wonderful. Um, I, I do have a word that I want to share with you. If you want to turn to Genesis chapter 2, while you're turning there, uh, I have a couple of things I want to just tell you about. Number one, um, I didn't ask Pastor if I could do this, but I'm pretty sure it's okay. I'm, uh, I'm hosting my first trip to Israel this year, November. We, we have a bus that can hold 50 people. And if you've ever wanted to go to Israel, this is the time to go. The weather's going to be fantastic, number one. Number two, it's a small group. And I'm going to be leading the trip, which means we're going to worship every site. <laughs> Praise God. And uh, it'll just be a time of eating together and being together. If you want to sign up for that, you can check it out on my, on my website. But um, also on Tuesday nights, if you're interested in like going deeper into things we've been talking about this weekend, every Tuesday night I meet uh, on Zoom with people from all over. And we just go into the scriptures and wait on the Lord. It's always wonderful. If you're interested in doing that too, you can see that also on our website. But um, yeah, praise God. This weekend has been great. Those, who is not here this weekend? Wow. I think just a couple of people. But let me just recap real quickly because I'm going to continue on the same train as what we've been on. But the first time that I spoke, I spoke to us about the beauty of the Lord from the scriptures actually being his attractive nature, his person being so attractive, he pulls you in. That's his beauty. The symmetrical glories of his justice and love is just the way that he is causes you to love him. And I used the quote from Jonathan Edwards, the beauty of the Lord, it, it bows the will and draws the heart. I love how he put both those things together. You see him so beautiful and you say, yeah, I, want to, I want to bow to you. And when you see him so beautiful, your heart is just won by him. Yes, I love him. Why? Because I've seen what he's like. He's irresistible. His precious, the sight of him is literally drawing and causes a man to lay down his life gladly and say, yes, I will follow you around the world. It's like Juliet said to Romeo. She said, she, all my fortunes I lay at your feet and follow you, my Lord, around the world. That's love. And that's what happens when you see the beauties of Jesus. You say, Lord, all my fortunes I lay at your feet and I'll follow you around the world, my Lord. Praise God. So that's first, his beauty. But then second, from there, we began to look at what that bridal love looks like when that attractiveness of, of God revealed in his beauty and his majesty, him dropping down into human flesh and showing forth this kindness that he has for you that's so great it would cause him to become a man. We respond to that by a, a bridal love, a love that we saw in even Mary who was preoccupied with him, fixed upon him, steady. She chose this good part to give to him that highest seat. Praise God. 
And then from there, we moved into another episode in which you see her bridal love and cherishing and treasuring of Christ, even in the midst of tragedy. She, her heart is hurting. Her, her, she's broken in the inside. She has questions in her mind, but her highest priority is his person, so much so that she sees his presence there to be even more important than getting answers from him. And then lastly, we looked at how her sweet love exchange with him was so beautiful that everybody in the room could smell the fragrance thereof. And that's the highest place of ministry there is when your love relationship with him is such a fragrance in your life that other people are able to smell of that fragrance. That's ministry itself. So today, I want to talk to you a little bit further on this romance that we have with the King of Kings. I'll start with a poem I love, poetry. But there's this poem that's written uh, many years ago. It says, mid, mid all the traffic of my ways, turmoils without within, making my heart a quiet place and come and dwell therein, a little shrine of quietness, all sacred to thyself, where thou shalt all my soul possess and I will find myself, a little place of mystic grace, of self and sin swept bare, where I may look into thy face and talk to thee in prayer. Come, occupy my silent place and make thy dwelling there. More grace is wrought in this quietness than any is aware. This romance with God is what I want to look at today. And we see that the whole Bible has been built upon a romance. You say, Eric, I just don't know if it's that, that way. Well, look at Genesis chapter 2 with me. The very beginning. You know, the, the name Genesis means beginning. So the beginning of the beginning is this. Chapter 2, verse uh, 22. Let's look at this. The Lord God fashioned into a woman the rib which he had taken from the man and brought her to the man. The man said, this is now bone of my bones and flesh of my flesh. Uh, she shall be called woman because she was taken out of man. For this reason, a man shall leave his father and mother and be joined to his wife, and they shall become one flesh. Do you see from the very beginning, when he makes man, he pulls out of man a woman and then makes them one thing, two separate things, no longer two, but one. And this is the very beginning of everything. And this is with a man called Adam. And I'm not sure if you're aware of this, but the scriptures give Christ a very interesting title in the New Testament. They call him the last Adam. <laughs> so you have the first Adam who has a wife presented to him and they are now one. And you have the last Adam who has a wife presented to him and they become one. Turn over to Ephesians chapter five. I wanna show you this even more. I know many of you've read this and you are just walking these things out. So I wanna just kind of, touch on these things that are so precious to us. Ephesians chapter five, if you don't know where Ephesians is, Gentiles eat pork chops. <laughs> so look at verse 25, we'll just back up a little bit. No, you know what, let's go to 24. Nah, let's go to 22. So it says, wives be subject to your own husbands as to the Lord. For the husband is the head of the wife, as Christ also is the head of the church. He himself being the savior of the body. But as 
The church is subjected to Christ, so also the wives also be subject to their husbands and everything. Husbands, love your wives, just as Christ also loved the church and gave himself up for her. Let me just kind of go with rabbit trail. Is that okay? Everybody likes it. I won't say everybody. There is a strong emphasis on women submitting to their husbands, and that's, that's precious. It's in the Bible, but it's so much easier for her when it is a man who lays his life down for her. <laughs> the woman gladly subjects to a man who says, I die for you. You say, not, not, not just I'll die for you like I'll take a bullet for you, girl. Not like that. <laughs> Not like that, but like lays down his life for her day in and day out. That means putting her above himself. She is his treasure. That makes her say, I desire to subject myself to you. Even if I think you're wrong at times, my love for you says I'm going to let you lead. This is just how it, how it goes. That's why it works so well when a woman has a man who treasures her so much, it makes her say yes. And they just kind of fit perfectly together in this way. And so it is with Christ. You see that he has loved you so much that he gave up his life for you. It makes you say, in response to that, I gladly bow my knees to you, Lord. I will subject myself to you. I will give myself completely over to you. And that's why the beauty is in the oneness found in the laying down of the life and the subjectivity to his rule. It's the, it's the image. So it goes on here and it says this, so that he might sanctify her, having cleansed her by the washing of the water with the word. Praise God for that. The washing of the water with the word. Did you know that when you read the scriptures, your mind is, is cleansed? Did you know that as you're walking around in this world, you collect dust? just by passing billboards and listening to people talk and, and just seeing the value system of this world, it's just dust just kind of gets everywhere. You read the scriptures, you meditate upon the scriptures and that word washes that dirt off of you, that, that dust, if you will, that, that corrosion that begins to happen. The word does this in us. I encourage you, if you are not living a life that is steeped in the scriptures, you're living in a way that brings unnecessary frustrations. You're, you're living in a way that brings things upon yourself and causes your emotions to be affected in a way that they don't have to be. Does that make sense? So it's not like, hey, man, you should read your word. It's like, no, listen, reading the word's the best life. <laughs> the people talk about live your best life now. The best life now is reading the scriptures because it cleanses your mind and it aligns your heart and you, you, you find a... a, a a blissful union with God. You remember the old, uh, what's his name? He never asked for money, but he always got money. George Mueller. George Mueller said, my first business of every day is to make my soul happy in God. My first business of every day is to make my soul happy in God. How? By going to be with him in communion. I'm getting off again, but it says here, having no spot or wrinkle or any such thing, but that he that she would be holy and blameless, so husbands also ought to love their wives as their own bodies. He who loves his wife loves himself, for no one ever hated his own flesh, but nourishes it and cherishes it. That's another side note for husbands. Look at how he sees the husband's duty in the marriage. Nourish her, cherish her. 
I remember reading one time in Colossians. I don't know why I'm going off on these husband-wife things, but let's just go with it. (laughs) Colossians, it says this. It says, husbands, love your wives and do not be embittered, embittered against them. And when I looked up that word embittered, check this out. It has to do with losing feeling for Isn't that incredible? Husbands, love your wives. Don't lose feeling for her. I think he says that to men because men are like that. Men are like, listen, you got a roof over your head. You got got money in the account. I'm loving you. He's saying it's not just, it's nourish her, cherish her. I've been, in, I've been at times with my wife, we've gotten into a, like a, a squabble, like disagreement, and it starts to get a little hot, and I'll look at her and I'll say, you are too precious to me for this. I will not speak to you like this. I will not go any further here because you're too precious for me to fight with. And it's just that cherishing. You're, you're so special to me. Sometimes I think men, we, think, we forget how special the woman is. I mean, if you're married in this room, think about this. You have your very own woman. That's awesome. Okay, let's go on here. I'm, I'm getting all, <laughs> cherish it just also as Christ. <laughs> okay, here it goes. <clears throat> we are members of his body. Here it is, verse 31. For this reason, a man shall leave his father and mother and shall be joined to his wife and the two are no longer two, they are now one. Do you see he's pulling an exact quote from the very beginning? It's the exact quote. He's pulling it from there. And now he explains it mystically with the actual glory of the whole reality. And he says right here, he says, this mystery is great, but I am speaking with reference to Christ and his church. The bridal paradigm is the great mystery. The bridal paradigm, you say, Eric, what is the bridal paradigm? It is when the bride recognizes that he is her groom and that in marital union with him, the two are now one. It's the loss of self in another. I remember reading an old mystic said this, uh, in order for the bride to come out of herself, she must first forget herself. In order for the bride to come out of herself, she must first forget herself. That's the loss of self in another. You express your marital union with Christ by the giving up of your will for him. You say, Eric, but how does that look practically? Well, it looks like this. Lord, not my will, but yours be done. You know, I was thinking this morning, We think that we know ourselves so good, so much so that we think that we can make ourselves happy by somehow praying to get the things that we want so that when we get what we want, we're super happy because we know ourselves. The reality is, is that the basic fundamental uh, premise of that thought is wrong. You don't know yourself. (laughs) The scripture says this, that he made us and not we ourselves. That's an interesting statement, isn't it? He made us and not we ourselves. This should remove from us this notion that we know ourselves and that we know what will make us happy. (laughs) It's better just to trust the one who put the whole thing together. How many of you have realized in your life that God didn't give you something that you so wanted and then later on you realize you didn't really want that? You found out that he put you somewhere better than you thought was best. 
Why? Because he knows you better than you know you. And you can get swayed by people. You can get swayed by things and forget really what is going on on the inside. Jesus knows these things. And if we will trust him, then we can literally ask him, yield up our will and walk with this almost smooth ease because his yoke is easy and his burden is light. What gets heavy is when you start putting upon him the things that you want. You start saying, here's, here's what... Here's what's going to make me happy, me getting what I want. And then Jesus is trying to say, no, 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 my yoke is easy. My burden is light. I know what is best for you, not just what's best for you like broccoli. You know, like you should eat, bro- you should eat broccoli because it's, you know, it's best for you. Jesus is not like that. He's, he's, he is what you need for nourishment, but he's also the greatest taste in all the world. So he doesn't sacrifice one for the other. It's just our mentality as humans, part of our fallen mentality is to be so arrogant as to say, you must do what I think I want because that will really make me happy. That's deception. That's the very beginning of failure and difficulty in the Christian life. So better just to say, Lord, only you know, and I trust you. Put me where you want me. Do, do to me as, as you wish. I, I worship you. You are my highest priority. The only thing that I'm asking from you is you. Place me wherever you want. Just give me you, Lord. Praise God. I remember the Lord asked me one time in a vision. How many of you have ever had a vision? When you're praying and you like slip somewhere and you just kind of see something happen real quick. Well, I was praying stuck in stillness, just enjoying his sweetness, just like this, lingering like this. And I slipped in to this place. I don't even know where it was, but the Lord spoke to me and he said, do you want to know the future? And when I heard the question, for some reason I knew he wasn't asking me a question. He was showing something wrong in my heart to me. How many of you know that when God asks you a question, he's not interested in the answer? <laughs> he's trying to get you to see something about yourself. You notice that? And so I realized in that moment, the Lord gave me grace to realize he's trying to pinpoint something. And he showed me that I was wanting to know, I was, I was putting more trust in me getting to where I want to be than in just having him. And so I said in that moment, I said, oh Lord, I said, I don't want to know the future. Just give me you. And I felt like that really pleased the Lord because it's that sacrifice of self that is the actual expression of marital union with Christ, the loss of self. You say, Eric, what are you talking about? I am talking about what the bride looks like. She loves to give up her will to the one that she loves. So you say, what, is this, what does this look like you know, in the church? What does this look like in my, my, my life, my marriage? It looks like this. A life that has as its priority Christ above self. Do you remember yesterday I brought up the whole text, uh, 1037 in Matthew. It says, anyone who loves father, mother, wife, children more than me is not worthy of me. And anyone who does not take up his cross and follow me is not worthy of me. What is this saying? It's saying a, a, a love, a love that considers itself first is not a worthy love. But that's what it means when it says, Take up your cross. That's the end of your life. A.W. Tozer said, you know one thing about a man heading down the road with a cross? He's not coming back. You, you give up your life. And you find that in marriage to him, you have all of the glories of his person. I remember Charles Spurgeon once wrote, 
There is not an item on the earth that excels the smallest item in heaven, but there isn't an item in heaven that excels the smallest measure of Jesus. He is the highest delight, the highest joy, the highest peace. And men rob themselves of the highest joy and the highest peace when they put their will in front of his. So you say, Eric, what's the greatest life there is? It's the bridal life. What's the bridal life? Give up yourself to him. And say, you are so beautiful. I trust you. I desire you. Praise God. I mean, I'm just going to follow what what I'm seeing right now in my heart. I see the three Hebrew boys. In the, you guys have all read Daniel chapter. Do you remember this story? Incredible. Man, if you haven't read the first six chapters of Daniel, seven chapters of Daniel, wait, it, 10, just read Daniel. <laughs> just, just literally reading those chapters will shake the bones, man. If you just believe what you're reading and not just read it like it's Chronicles of Narnia, if you read it as real and knowing that it's really real, it will make your bones shake, man. There's something about the Bible, guys. That if you will trust in the Lord, it will come alive. Sometimes I don't know if I'm looking at my Bible or if my Bible's looking at me. How many know what I'm talking about? Have you ever felt like your pages are breathing? You read the scriptures. I remember one man of God looked at me and he said, the Bible's the only book that demands the author be present when it's read. When you read the scriptures in the presence of Christ, it's no longer a cookbook. It becomes a delectable spread and you can take and eat thereof, praise God. And so we look at this and we see a a nourishing, a cherishing that Christ does for us. We see a union of marriage with Christ. And you see in Revelation chapter 22, verse 17, the end all of everything. It says that the spirit and the bride say come, which means the whole thing is heading towards everybody understanding Christ to be the bridegroom. One of the most fundamental elements of being the bride is realizing him as your bridegroom. How can you ever be the bride if you don't realize him as the bridegroom? As a matter of fact, you become the bride when you realize him to be bridegroom. What does that mean that Christ is bridegroom? It means he wants to marry you. It means that he wants to protect you. It means that he wants to nourish you. He wants to cherish you. He's already laid down his life for you and he wants to keep you near. He wants to keep you here. He wants to exchange love with you. Oh, the wonderful book of Song of Solomon is an exposition of bridal realities. I remember reading Hudson Taylor about Song of Solomon, and he said this, Song of Solomon is the divine warrant for the desire for sensible manifestations of Christ's love. When you read the book of Song of Solomon, you see all the senses touched. She's like, draw me, and I'll run after you. Oh, his his name is like ointment poured forth. Oh, kiss me with the kisses of your mouth. Your love is better than wine, praise God. He touches every, she touches every sense. God desires to thrill the soul with himself, praise God. And, and I think when we don't give up our wills to the Lord, we miss, we miss out on the wonderful glories of what happens in marriage with Christ. Oh, goodness. This is what life is all about. And so even when you look at Song of Solomon, you can see that God is calling us into a bridal paradigm. Can I just touch on a couple more things concerning this glorious union that we have with the bridegroom? Turn over to Song of Solomon. And go to the last chapter. You know what? Let's, we'll, we will go to the last, last chapter, but let's go to chapter two first because this is probably the best place to start. Look at this. Now, remember what I'm talking to you about. I'm talking to you about bridal 
paradigm, bridal reality, recognizing Christ as the lover of your soul who desires to have a commitment one with another and union with you in life to live and move and have your being. Do you remember the scripture talks about he who joins himself with the Lord is one spirit with him? You join together. That word join is the same word used right there when a, a man shall leave his father and mother and be joined to his wife. There's just this joining. And even when Joshua was talking to the people of Israel, he tells them to join themselves to the Lord. In other words, be married to him. We see in, even in Hosea, he longs to marry his bride. He's looking for this love-centered, delightful union with you. Praise God. So in Song Psalm in chapter 2, look at this. Now, again, we're talking about the beautiful bride and the bridegroom. Chapter 2, verse 3. Like an apple tree among the trees of the forest, so is my beloved among the young men. Look at how she sees the bridegroom. She sees him as an apple tree among the trees of the forest. You say, Eric, what's the significance of that? Well, the apple tree can nourish you. The trees of the forest cannot. <laughs> and so what's beautiful about the bridegroom and what the bride recognizes about the bridegroom is only he can nourish me. Listen, ministers cannot nourish your soul. Only Christ can nourish your soul. Ministers should be trees of the forest that have painted on them an arrow that says the apple tree is that away. <laughs> the greatest minister in the world pulls you to Christ to eat of his fruit. The, the greatest ministers don't offer themselves to you as nourishment because you, all you get is bark. And this is, this is the reason why you get so many weirdos in Christianity because they're chewing on bark all day long and they're malnourished. <laughs> no man can nourish your soul. It's Christ. It's Christ the apple tree, praise God. And he will put that, the, he will give you those, that nourishment that gives you the nutrients necessary for his nature. And what religion, the spirit of religion is trying to do is demand that you walk according to the nature, but prohibits you from having the nourishment that gives you the nutrients to walk out that nature. Praise God. So she sees, the bride sees the bridegroom as her only nourishment. He's my apple tree, praise God. And notice what it says next. She says, his, oh, I, in his shade, I took great delight and sat down. Wow. And his fruit was sweet to my taste. You see this imagery that is painted for us, for us to understand bridal realities. He's the only one that nourishes the soul. And that nourishment takes place underneath the shadow. Underneath the shadow, in his shade. It means he blocks the heat of life. He doesn't stop the sun from shining, but he will block the influence of the sun from shining. How many know what I'm talking about? And then there, in the shade, you say, what is the shade? Well, David tells us that he rejoices under the shadow of God's wings. In other words, there's joy here. Not only that, but the scripture tells us that he who dwells in the secret place of the Most High will abide, live underneath the shadow, the shade, the divine shadow, living there underneath his shadow. He who dwells in the secret place of the Most High will abide under the shadow of the Almighty. And then it goes on and it says, I took great delight. Look, at, it's not just doing what you need to do. People sometimes go into the closet and they leave the same way they came in because they did everything but actually eat of the Lord. They never actually adored the Lord. They checked off their list. I did what I'm supposed to do. I prayed today. Did you pray today? 
That's not what we're looking at when we're talking about a bridegroom who loves you and desires to feed you with himself. Oh, as Madame Guyon once wrote, oh, great shepherd who feedeth thy flock with thyself. It's this, I receive you, Lord. I was with a friend one time on a trip. He came with me and we went our separate ways to pray for a few hours. Then we got back together to go to the church. And I asked him when we got in the car, I said, how was your, how was your time under the, under the shadow? How was, your, how was the sweetness of the apples? And then he says to me, man, man, to be honest, he goes, I just, I read and I got kind of tired of being there and I just turned on a game. And I, I looked at him and I said, I, I understand. I said, uh, but did you, re- did you remember that you're with a person? And he goes, you know, I didn't even think about that. I thought about reading. I thought about praying. I thought about singing. I thought about doing something and getting it done. He goes, but I forgot the whole time. I did all that and never even thought that he was a person. And I said, man, bro, that's the issue. When satisfaction in prayer is no longer considered, we know by this, principle has overtaken a person. Principle has eclipsed the person of the Lord. But the person of the Lord is always sweet. The person of the Lord is sweeter, sweeter, sweeter as the days go by, sweeter, sweeter as the moments fly. <laughs> praise, praise you. So we, so we have this sweet and glorious communion that she talks about here. And his fruit was sweet to my taste. Now, notice what she's eating there. She's eating apples. So apples are representative of eating of the Lord. That sweet exchange with the Lord. Look down uh, at verse five. She connects refreshment with apples. Right there, sustain me with raisin cakes. Refresh me with apples. People, uh, Christians, a lot of times their lives are like this. They have a high and then they go really low. And then they have a real high and then they have a real low. But if you stay underneath the apple tree, you're eating refreshment constantly. And so you are always refreshed, always revived because you begin to realize that revival isn't something so much that happens. Revival is the reviver in our midst. The revival, revival is not separate from the man, Christ Jesus. Jesus Christ is the revolution. He is the actual resurrection and the life. Revival is just, he's here. And so you can live, in a sense, in a sustained, unmovable revival by living a life in his presence, under his shade, and eating his apples that constantly refresh your soul. Praise God. I remember Robert Murray McShane was asked, why do you always ask the Lord to fill you with the Spirit? He says, because I find that I leak. (laughs) Constantly. Remember the scripture tells us, be being continually filled with the Spirit. That's the, that's the tense of the verse. Be being continually, living underneath that shade. Apples, 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 just constantly eating of the Lord. I remember reading Witness Lee's book on eating the Lord. He has a book called Eating the Lord. <laughs> and in it, it's, he says, the question of your Christian life is not what you do or don't do. It is how much you eat or don't eat. I thought that was a very interesting perspective. He put everything on communion with God. Are you eating of him? Are you at his table? Tozer once wrote, the saddest sight in Christianity is to see the children seated at the father's table, yet all the while famished. You see, the, the, uh, the tragedy of the church is that from childhood to old age, men have only known a synthetic God, compounded of theology and logic, having no eyes to see nor ears to hear. And But with, with apples, you are alive because you're tasting, you're seeing. The scripture connects together, tasting and seeing. You remember Psalm 34? Oh, taste and see that the Lord is good. 
You see who he is. There's a, there's a, he opened a taste that opens blind eyes. And I'm not sure how you are, but I know myself and my eyes go blind very fast. So I need to live eating these tastes that cause my eyes to continually stay open, living in communion with the Lord. You say, Eric, what are you talking to us about again? I'm talking about bridal paradigm. I'm talking about the life of love with the bridegroom, sitting underneath his shade, eating the apples, wonderful Jesus. And so from there, turn over to uh, the last chapter of, uh, of Song of Solomon. Look at this, verse five in the last chapter, halfway down. It says, beneath the apple tree, the apple tree comes up again. Who is the apple tree? It's the bridegroom. Beneath the apple tree, what, what, what does it mean being beneath the apple tree? That's in the shadow. This is talking of your communion with the bridegroom, your taste of him, your experience of him. It says, beneath the apple tree, I awakened you. So this is not only where you found the Lord, it's where we find the Lord, it's how we live in the Lord, that he causes you to stay awake. He will stop that slumber that is so often taking over our minds and our hearts and the sway of life. It kind of lullabies us to sleep, even if you've, if you've read the Pilgrim's Progress, just the, the song that puts you to sleep. So even with that, the bridegroom himself will take it upon himself to keep you awake by you staying underneath that apple tree and eating of him. You know, men set themselves against the experience of God when they're more loyal to their idea of God than the actual person of God. Experience is non-negotiable. Experiencing God is Christianity. If you take experience out, all you have left is an idea. I mean, think about it like this. If I told you I want to introduce you to my wife, and I took a picture from my phone, and I said, here she is. <laughs> All you know is a two-dimensional image of my wife. You can grab a couple of conclusions from it, like she has blonde hair, she has light eyes, she's got light skin. You'd be like, I can grab a couple of conclusions, but you don't know her. You don't know her by a two-dimensional image. You have to meet her, experience her, hear her, speak to her, exchange with her, then the knowing begins. And then the knowing continues on, which, which shows me that experiencing God is the only way to know him. You have to pass through the two-dimensional into the three-dimensional communicative experience in order to grow in the knowledge of God. Praise. Aren't you interested in growing in the knowledge of God? I'm, not, I'm really not interested in anything else. Remember, Walter Butler talked about uh, Moses asking God to show him his glory. And his, his observation was significant. He said this, he said, Moses used the fact that he knew God as an argument for knowing him more. <laughs> the, the, each, each taste of God says, oh, I long for more tastes. Every bit of knowing of the Lord that you find causes your knowing and longing to grow. I remember Bill Johnson said, the way you get hungry is to eat in the kingdom of God. <laughs> The more you eat of the Lord, the more hungry you become for the Lord. The more you neglect the table of the Lord, the more you neglect the shadow and the apples, the less desire you have for them, for him. And so lastly, look over at the seventh chapter. Look at verse eight, halfway down, or all the way down, actually. This is the bridegroom talking to the bride. Look at apples come up again. The fragrance of your breath is like apples. Do you see what he's telling her? There's evidence that she's eaten of him. 
The fragrance of her speech is that she has tasted God. And this is one of the aspects of the bride. She smells like communion with God. You can tell from the sound of her voice, she has sat in the shadow and she has eaten and tasted of the apples. That's why you can have two men say the same thing and one of them is vibrant and the other one is just kind of dead. There's a story of a, a young man of God uh, who gets up behind the pulpit and his, his posture's perfect and his stage presence is perfect and his diction is perfect and he starts saying, uh, uh, the Lord is my shepherd, I, I shall not want, he makes me lie down in green pastures, he leaps. He starts speaking like this and everybody's clapping. They stand up when he's done. Then he goes and he sits down next to this old man of God and he gets up with his tattered old Bible and he makes his way to the pulpit with a limp from being touched by God. <laughs> and he gets there, he puts his Bible down, he pushes his glasses up. He turns to Psalm 23 and he goes, the Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want. As he begins to read, the whole place begins to just weep. And he grabs his tattered old Bible when he's done and he walks back over with the limp from being touched by God. And he sits down next to this young man of God. The young man of God says, why is it when I quoted Psalm 23, they clapped, but when you read it, they wept. The old man of God pushes his glasses down. He goes, son, you know the Psalm. I know the shepherd. <laughs> There's a difference between having eaten and having not eaten. Eating makes your breath smell like apples and your counsel will be sweet, and your advice to people will be sweet, and your gospel presentation will be tender and, and full of luscious forests of apples. It, people will see the Lord as what he actually is. You can bring people into a sight of Christ because you've seen Christ. You cannot reflect a light greater than what you yourself have seen. And my question to you today is, what have you seen? Have, where have you sat? Have you eaten? Are you, are, you, are you malnourished or are you alive and refreshed constantly? So my call to you today and my, my portion at this Sunday morning service is this, to call to you and draw you, not, not with a hammer to dash you, not with a whip to whip you, but with rose petals. I want to lead you back to the, the apple tree where you can just lay down there and rest in his presence and, and eat of his word and live a life that is constantly refreshed. So you can be like the tree that's planted by the, the, the rivers of living water where his leaf does not wither and, and he's always green and lush in whatever season comes, always green and lush. You know those people, you've seen them before. Some old saint who's been walking with God for years and it doesn't matter what's going on in the world, they have this joyful heart. It doesn't matter what's happening in their own life. They may be struggling with stuff in their body, but yet they're just, they're glowing with sweetness because they've been with God. Don't you want that? Doesn't that remind you of Jesus? Isn't that bridal? Isn't that what Jesus is smiling on? Isn't that what he wants to see in us being strong in the Lord and the strength of his might? Not because you resolve to do something different. Not because you put like crazy discipline restrictions upon yourself. Not, not by any of this, but by grace, through faith, experiencing and enjoying God. Man, you stop enjoying, you stop growing. It's the enjoyment of God that causes us to progress. It's the enjoyment of God that causes us to become like God. You don't, you don't become like God by trying. You become like God by enjoying. <laughs> Praise God. This is what life is all about. And I find even as I'm talking about these things, I feel like a liberty just shooting out. And may that liberty come upon you and break off bondages you've put on yourself. 
Uh, maybe you thought you were so spiritual because you tied your hands up or something. Maybe you thought you were so spiritual because you, you just, you do something different than you used to do. Listen, it's not about restrictions. It's about a new heart and a new life with new desires. Man, man, I can just keep going, but I'll, I'll close with this. The, the, the new heart that is ours. He says in the new covenant, I will give you a new heart. I'm going to give you a new heart. I'm going to take away that heart of stone. I'm going to give you a new heart, a heart that can know me. And I'm going to put my spirit on the inside of you. And I'm going to cause you to walk in my ways. He puts all the pressure off you. And he says, if you'll just by faith trust in me and come to me, you'll find that you'll be one with me and I'll be able to accomplish, accomplish the thing through you. As Philippians 2.13 is so crazy. It says, God works in you both to will and to do. That's not a poem I wrote. That's an actual scripture. God works in you both to will and to do. He'll accomplish the internals and the externals if you'll just come to him and live a life of being refreshed by those apples. Hallelujah. Will you stand to your feet with me? I, I heard a song this morning in my heart, and I'd like to sing it together if it's okay. Um, I don't know if you know this one, but I'll, I'll just go ahead and start it a cappella with you guys. But I feel like it's just a good way to end this time together. Uh, before we sing it, just put your hand on your heart and pray with me. Say, Jesus, I recognize you are the only apple tree and I come to you, and I desire to live underneath your shadow, eating your apples, refreshed and revived. Thank you, Lord. Make my breath like apples. Make me a vibrant lover, a bride, in your precious name.